have a copy of God's Word, uh, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning is in Acts chapter 2. Um, and I, I'll give you just a second here, or, or if you can just pause for a minute if you're, if you're flipping. Um, it, it will be on the screen and, and, and we can read it together, but uh, I would like to pray with you too. So if you're, if you're a, a Bible flipper, uh, then just pray with me, will you? Lord God, our Father in heaven, we praise you today. We thank you for allowing us to be alive today, for letting us be born here in this nation at this time. We thank you for your goodness and faithfulness to us. We thank you for your long-suffering grace and mercy for us through your Son, Jesus the Christ. Father, we confess to you that we are sinners, and we need your substitutionary atonement. We ask that you would forgive us our transgressions and remove the shame and guilt of our sins. We thank you that it is in Christ that we are made whole and that in him you hear our prayers and grant our petitions. Therefore, as we look now at your holy word, we ask that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds. We pray that you would maximize our lives and effectiveness in witness and ministry so as to impact our families, this community, and Lord, if you allow even this world itself that all might glorify your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as you're turning to Acts chapter 2, thank you for indulging me and pausing there for a minute. Uh, The title of today's sermon is uh, kind of the same as as last one, as is New Year, same mission. Last week we were talking heavily about love. This week we're talking about Acts. And the reason I asked you that is, if you remember, we were talking about that that Enzyme song, and uh, the New Year's song. And I said, you know, Allegan Bible Church has a tagline. Do you know what it is? Well, it's, it's love, acts. And so the first week talking about love, this week talking about acts. So I want to ask you these questions as we begin, which is this. What does it take to make a church? What does a healthy church look like? Maybe even more importantly than that, if you have the answer to those questions, is Allegan Bible Church a healthy church? And, and, and are we moving in that direction? And, and where do you fit in with the healthy church? Are you helping move forward in that direction? I want to give you a quote uh, by, by one, of my, one of my favorite expositors of the word. Uh, he is still alive. His name is John Piper. Perhaps you've heard of him. Uh, This is what he says. So this is his definition of what local church looks like, okay? Uh, This is what it says, and you can read along with me if you want. I mean, I'll read it, but you can know that I'm quoting it correctly. I would define a local church like this. A local church is a group of baptized believers who meet regularly to worship God through Jesus Christ, to be exhorted from the Word of God, and to celebrate the Lord's Supper under the guidance of duly appointed leaders. So that's his definition. Now, uh, we shouldn't, I think John Piper is an amazing expositor, and I, and I would tend to just believe what he says, right? Because of how, how faithful he's been throughout his years. But Piper doesn't just invent this definition out of whole cloth. He actually gets it directly from Scripture as we would expect a preacher ought to do, right? And so Piper, I believe, gets this definition, at least in part, if not wholly, from the text that we are going to look at this morning. 
So with this in mind, we're going to examine this in just a minute, but with, these, with this definition in mind, I would like to read this text in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47. So hopefully you found your way there. If you didn't or if you don't have a Bible, you can read with me on the screen. Are you ready? This is what the Word of God says. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. So just some context. This is uh, right after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has fallen on the apostles. They are speaking in tongues to those around them. And now uh, Paul, uh, Peter rather, is getting ready to uh, share this testimony with those who are listening and uh, add to the church a great multitude through the power of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of his word, okay? That's, that's where we're at in Acts. So let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of the Lord I'm sorry, of the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Oh, if Peter only knew, right? Uh, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So if you're a note taker, you get to write down your first thing. I want to talk to you about the seven minimum requirements of a church. Now, I believe what what John gave here, and I believe that if we were to talk to John and ask him about this, uh, he would agree with what is about to be said. Uh, But I think what he gave there is the seven minimum requirements for what it takes to be a church. And so I would like to examine those with you here this morning. So again, the first one that we see there is they were believers. This seems super self-evident, I hope, but but Here's the point. You can't be a member of the body if you're not a believer, right? Uh, you wouldn't consider this, this uh, stool to be a part of my body or this cup or even this shirt. Even though this shirt might be the closest thing to me right now, you wouldn't consider this shirt to be a part of my body because it's not made of the same thing. It's not part of who I am. Acts 2, 44, so this is where you having a copy of, the God, of God's words come in handy for you this morning. You can grab a pew Bible if you'd like or scroll on your phone, but 2, 44 says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And so it takes a belief in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be a part of the body of 
believers. Go figure, right? John 1, 12 through 13. But all who did not receive, or I'm sorry, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so this first one is pretty straightforward, to be a part of the church, and we're talking not just Allegan Bible Church, although that is a requirement for membership, it's not a requirement for attendance. So if you're here this morning, you're like, I'm not sure if I'm a believer or not, that's okay, you're welcome. In fact, your atheist, angry friend is welcome, and I would love to go have coffee with him and talk about the truths of Scripture. But to be a part of the body of believers, you must be a believer. Secondly, and maybe a little bit less straightforward, but it's in the text, and we saw that, and I'll show you that here in just a minute, is to be baptized. This is a public profession of one's faith, because we can have mental assent. Uh, I can logically kind of understand the gospel uh, and the word of the Lord, but actually believing it in my heart then also takes an act of faith, an act of obedience, and the first act of obedience that Christ both illustrated for us and commands us is for us to be baptized. And there's lots of different traditions and ways of doing this. Now, of course, the right way is the way we practice it here. And uh, my, my Baptist seminary would be very happy for me uh, telling you that. And so I believe that the best means of practicing baptism is by full immersion because of what it illustrates. It illustrates the death and burial and then resurrection of Christ. And so that's the way that I think it was done with John the Baptist and Jesus. Now, there are circumstances where people who are uh, unhealthy or unwell or unable for whatever reason to be baptized in other ways. You yourself, I come out of a Lutheran tradition. When, when, I, when I was a child, I was baptized as a, as a believer, as an adult, but I was baptized as an infant. And, and you know what? I, I think that there's nothing wrong with that. If, that's, if you don't want to be what we might refer to as rebaptized or something like that. I, I also want to tell you that you don't have to be baptized more than once. But I digress. Acts 2.41 says that those who received the word were baptized. And that is the Greek word for, like, dunked, right? And, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, I don't know if this is meant in the text or not, but it's interesting to me that it says that there was a bunch of them who were baptized, but there were added 3,000 souls. So it may have been that some of these people were baptized, but actually weren't added to the church because it doesn't say anything about their souls. But that's splitting hairs in the text, so we'll go on for the point is this. Are you making a public profession of your faith? Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them of the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. But this is not only a baptism by water, but according to the text, this is also a baptism by the Holy Spirit, which we get at the moment that we believe. And so to be a part of the body, right, you've got to be made of the same stuff as the body. So do you believe, but also were you baptized? Not only just dunked, but were you baptized in the Holy Spirit? And what I mean by that is, if you believe genuinely, then you were baptized by the Holy Spirit. The things happen simultaneously. This is not something that happens afterwards, as some people might believe. Third point of a minimum church. I'm covering some things. I'm kind of glossing over some kind of real deep theological stuff. So if you have more questions about this, please come talk to me, and we can set up a time to, to meet, okay? Third, 
They regularly assemble together. And this is not like the Avengers, right? They don't just assemble to fight crime. They don't just assemble to break bread. They, don't, they assemble together because they love one another. They assemble together because to be a part of the body means to have connection with one another. Acts 2.46, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. But you see, we live in a society today that tends to tell us that we need not gather together. Beloved, perhaps you yourself or a member of your family is even tempted to hold that view where we don't have to. It's kind of optional. It's, it's, it's good to gather together, but it's not required. Listen, Hebrews 10.25 says, don't neglect the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but rather encourage one another and all the more as you see the days drawing near. And what I think they're talking about there is, first of all, we need one another. All the way back to Genesis, it wasn't good for somebody to be alone. How much more in the world that we live today do we need the strength of the saints together on a regular basis? Every time you come to church, this is a place for you to get spiritually refilled. And so they're regularly assembling together. We are called a body for a reason. But also, they're not just meeting together, because there's lots of groups that meet together, right? When I, was a, when I was a Boy Scout, we met together regularly, and we made Pinewood Derby cars, and we went camping. If you're part of you know, a snowboard club, you can meet together regularly. If you're part of a fishing group, you can meet together. Bowling team, are you following what I'm saying here? So people assemble together regularly for all kinds of things. But that brings me to the next, the fourth part of the seven point. What's the minimum for this church? Minimum for church is not only that they're regular, but they're, that they're gathering together regularly for the purpose of worship. What we're doing now is worship. What we did just a minute ago was worship. What we did at the beginning was, was worship. Prayer and singing and the reading of God's word. That's worship. Acts 2, 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking of bread in their homes, attending the temple together. That's what they were doing is worshiping in the temple. And in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They're receiving their food with hearts of worship. Praising God, there it is. That's the one that's obvious to us, right? Praising God and having favor with all people. Romans 15, 6 and 7. Together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You may have heard this before, but the, the question, what is the chief end of man? So what is, in layman's terms, what is man created for? Or, or, or what's the purpose of life? Well, the purpose of life for us is to worship and glorify God. For us to find our fullness of self in Christ. That's the purpose of life. That's the reason man was created. And so it should be natural for the body, with the head being Christ, these body of believers who are baptized, who are assembling together, that we would be worshiping him. And we're told that in Christ we ought to have all things be worshiped, right? So not only is this the chief end of man for what we were created for in the first place, and we find that fruition in the church, but also this is what we're created for and what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. Now, when I was a kid, I thought that that sounded super lame. 
I'm just going to be honest with you. I thought, well, worshiping forever, you know, standing in a choir, kind of looking at this bright light like a moth to a flame, and just singing, you know, oh, like that sounds lame. It's better than, than burning for all of eternity. But what we forget is this. Everything you do should be worship. I look forward to, and, I, and okay, so this is, this, is, this is John speaking. This is not Bible, okay? You have to understand that. I need to be very clear with that. But in my imagination, through eternity, I will probably spend, you know, the first several thousand years affecting the playing of the guitar. And then when I'm done with that, I might spend the next several thousand years perfecting wood carving. And then after that, maybe the next couple thousand years, I'll spend perfecting, I don't know, um, arithmetic. Well, let's be real. The next hundred thousand years... I'll perfect it, right, right? Because my wife knows my math skills are not great. But what I'm saying is this. If everything is worship, when we have sin removed from us, I don't think heaven is going to be us just staring at this light for all of eternity, humming a same tune, holy, holy, holy. Although it would not be wrong if it was. But I think God's love, his mercy, his grace, God is a God of imagination. Is that not part of his of his nature in us. His, he's a creative God. Will he not be worshiped for all of eternity through our creativity? I know I'm going off on a tangent. Let's bring it back, Pastor. Thank you uh, for holding me accountable. But worship together. They were regularly assembling together for the worship of this great God and King who saves. They do that, at least in part, and we do that here. We seek to through the exhortation from the word of God because there has to be a standard. And so if we're not learning from the word of God, then what are we learning from? I mean, hopefully, I pray that you're not here just to hear my opinion. You know what they say about opinions. Everybody's got one, right? But exhortation from the word is what they were doing. Look again at Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching. To teaching of those who were inspired. I'm not saying that that's me. I'm saying that's what I'm talking from, though. This is what's inspired. I'm merely a conduit. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayers, day by day attending the temple, where also they would hear the word of God read. And then they would go home and they would talk about it. It, kind of, it almost sounds like that they were hearing sermons and then performing small groups, doesn't it? Uh, that's strange, isn't it? It's weird. Go figure, go figure that's right. Uh, but seriously, uh, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said that. And so we ought to be in the word regularly. And so on Sunday morning, you ought to hear the word. Now, the reason that this is a minimum requirement for the church is because I hope that you have not been to this kind of church for very long, but I do know that there is a kind of church that exists where you will hear somebody read a section of scripture, and then they will go on with the rest of the service, and they will never come back to that section of scripture. If you're lucky, that section of scripture will actually tie into the rest of the message that they're going to talk about, but not always. And then that's it. We need to be exhorted from the word of God. What else is there to discuss when we meet together? Uh, six, we should celebrate the Lord's Supper. And of course, we do that once a month. Some churches do that every single week when they meet. I don't think the frequency is important. I think the regularity of it is important. And so Acts 2.42, again, if you go back to that text, it says, to the breaking of bread, right? To the breaking of bread in their homes. 
And so this was something they did regularly. Luke twenty-two nineteen is where we get this from, of course. It, Jesus speaking, and, or talking about Jesus. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, saying, so now this is Jesus speaking, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so just as baptism was a personal proclamation of personal faith in Christ, so the Lord's Supper is a public body profession of the work of Christ. For as often as you do it, you proclaim what Christ has done. And so as a body of believers, to participate in the fellowship of the Lord's Supper is a minimum requirement of the church. And then lastly, of the seven, under authority of appointed leaders. Now, in our culture today, the terminology of authority seems like a dirty word. But scripture is full of roles and responsibilities that have been delegated out, even illustrated in the Godhead. Look, if you will, I mean, you can't, but the Trinity. You have the Father, and you have the Son, and you have the Spirit. And by his holy appointed word, it is written that the Spirit is to glorify the Son, and the Son is to glorify the Father, pushing all of the glory to God the Father, of which all of these persons are then still equal and yet individual, and I cannot explain that to you. Please don't ask that question. When you fill out your cards, pastor, explain the Trinity. I'm just going to say, well, let's move on to the next question. But scripture is clear about it, that there is authority that is appointed, that is delegated. There is roles and there's responsibilities. Acts 2, 41 through 42. Those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Because they knew that these were the men who God had elected to share with them about the word. Acts 14.23, so later on in Acts. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So authority in our world today might be a dirty word, but that's only because of our own sin of our own hearts. I do, not like, I, I do not like authority over me. I never have. Ask my parents. It's always been an issue for me. I think that's why they found it so hilarious when I decided to go into the military. That was my rebellion. Do you believe this? I thought, well, I'm not going to live under your house and your rules. I know what I'll do. I'll join the military. And my dad was probably like, good luck there, buddy. <laughs> but you see, there's roles, there's responsibilities. I am under authority always. Not just, not just man's, not just the, the police, under God's authority. And that's why membership in a church is important because you are then agreeing to being placed under the authority of the body of believers and the appointed leaders who you have appointed. That's also why church membership is important because who's supposed to appoint these leaders? Y'all are, through prayer and through fasting, those who God has elected. And you are supposed to recognize the spiritual maturity of those who are called into these areas of service and then place them in those areas. How are we to do that without members, without a body, 
So, uh, we're about to go into the second part of this. So what is the difference between being alive and living? Now, you may not be able to articulate that, but I bet you, intrinsically, you, you kind of know the difference, right? Being alive and really living. Which is better? What if we added life to the mix? So what's the difference between life, between being alive, and then between living? All of these are digressions of the, of the same thing or, or flavors of the same thing, but you understand the difference between all of them. Now, I don't know about you, but I want this church to really be alive. I want for us to be living out the gospel. And so here's my point. I love Piper. I love his description. I agree with his description. I, I hope that you do too. I hope I've showed you that from the text. But I would also say, and I think Piper would agree, that those are the minimums, right? Those are the minimums. And so what I want to talk with you now are about the four marks of a maximized church. Because that's my goal. That's my desire. That's what I hope your goal, your desire is. Uh, I want this church to be a maximized church. And I want this to be a church, to be a maximized church, whether I'm its pastor or not. If I die tomorrow and you call somebody else, for all until Jesus Christ comes back, because I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, here's what you need to understand. A maximized church can only be made up of maximized Christians. If my toe gets gangrenous, my entire body feels that. When I get something in my eye, my entire body responds to that. So if this sounds good to you, if you want to be a maximized church, then we've really got to be thinking, well, are we maximized Christians? And so here's what a maximized church looks like based on the same text. So there's going to be a little overlap. The first thing is, a maximized church is a groaning church. Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. These people were hungry. They had an appetite for the word. They were gathering together regularly to hear the word and then going home to discuss the word. And then when they were going out, they were sharing the word. Are you noticing a, a common denominator here? These people were hungry for the word. They had an appetite for it. They had an abhorrence to sin. There was a real life change in these folks. And they had an appeal for the lost. It says they were dedicating themselves to the prayers. What do you think they were praying for? The same kind of things that we're praying for today. They were praying for their, their aunt who lives in Rome to be saved. They were praying for their cousin who lives over in Colossae, part of the Colossians, to be saved. They, they were praying for their sons and their daughters who thought that they were crazy and they were part of this new Jesus cult to be saved. They were praying for the lost. They were also praying for the church, for one another. They knew that so-and-so was about to go on trial during, uh, for Pontius or the other governors or whatever for some crime that they didn't commit because they were being slandered by those who weren't believers. And so they were praying that they would stand in the face of persecution. This was a groaning church. 2 Corinthians 5.11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And we hope that this is also known to your conscience. So how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life, Christian? Are we maximizing our prayer life? Can, can we even begin to claim that? 
Here's the deal. If you feel bad right now and you're like, man, I can't claim that. Do you want to? Doesn't that sound exciting? Groaning for these things, being maximized for God's kingdom by your prayer life? That's what I want. The second thing, four marks of a maximized church made up of maximized Christians. They were a glowing church. They're all G, by the way. You're welcome. You can just fill the G's out if you want. Acts 2, 43, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This was a church that had power, had persuasion, and because of this, they also, they were changing that which they desired as possessions. This is an attractive faith. Are we attractive Christians? I don't mean looking at the mirror. What I mean is, as you go throughout your day, as you interact with people, do they even see something different about you? Do they ever ask what makes you different, why your attitude is the way that it is? Are you so excited about church on Sunday that you're sharing that with other folks? Are you excited about your small groups? Are you excited about teaching kids ministry and you're sharing that with people, the people you meet on the street as you're grocery shopping? Are you saying things like, man, we have a good God, or hallelujah, or I'm going to pray for you, any of those kind of things? Are you a glowing Christian? Is your light being signed? Seen, in the darker this world gets, and we complain about that, but you know what's awesome about that? The darker the world gets out there, the brighter we look in comparison, even if we're not necessarily brighter. Praise the Lord for that. It's making your job easier out there. Do you understand that? The crazier it gets out there, the easier it is for you to be a glowing Christian. Praise the Lord. And so awe comes upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done. Don't you want to see that? Now, don't get me wrong. The greatest wonder, the greatest sign is for somebody to come to faith in Christ Jesus. That is literally a miracle. But don't you long to see more of that? Don't you long to see people getting baptized regularly? I'm sorry to say this again, but the Baptist in me really wishes there was an indoor baptistry somewhere in here. So, to be a maximized church, we need to be maximized Christians. And so the first is we have to be groaning. The second is we have to be glowing. The third is, you guessed it, we have to be going. Acts 2.46, day by day attending the temple together. Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Acts 5.42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Please don't answer this. <clears throat> Have you had enough one day a week? Is this enough? I hope not. I hope that you long for more. I hope you don't get through all of Monday before thinking to yourself, man, I can't wait to get back to church on Sunday. But also, they are a going church. You have to see here in the text and throughout history, and praise the Lord that they were a going church, because if they weren't a going church, we wouldn't be meeting today. But man could not stop them. There was persecution then. 
So man, I've got these in M2, you ready? So man could not stop them, mistreatment could not stop them, misfortune could not stop them. Daily they were involved in evangelism. Man couldn't stop them, it didn't matter what people thought of them. It didn't matter if people thought that they were silly or stupid. It didn't matter what the government said. It didn't matter that very shortly that uh, Caesar in Rome would start to persecute Christians. They would still go together. They would still meet together. They would still preach the word because you know what? Is it better for us to obey man rather than God? Mistreatment couldn't stop them. Look at the life of Paul. Somewhere in there he writes about his harrowing journey. One of which is so-and-so, the silversmith, who actually did him bodily harm. Most of the books that he wrote were composed while he was in prison. And part of those books, in those books, he writes to these other churches and is either thanking them or uh, exhorting them to be more generous as they give to other saints in other places of the world. So man, mistreatment, misfortune, nothing could stop them. I wonder sometimes how much it takes to stop us. It just takes a bad day where I didn't have enough coffee. It just takes an empty belly where I'm, now I'm, I'm hangry. It just takes you know, somebody to cut me off in traffic or for somebody to add up my change wrong at the grocery store or for some clerk to not wait on me as fast as I think they should. What happened to customer service anyway? So is the, are we a glowing, going, growing? Um, I stole my thunder. This is a growing church. <laughs> they're a groaning church. They're a glowing church. They're a going church. And so, of course, they're a growing church. Now, here's the deal. Is this about numbers? Yeah, totally. It's totally about numbers. But you know what it's also about? It's about your my, it's about our spiritual maturity. We should be growing. If we are doing all these things, God's going to bring people to this church. We don't have to do any kind of fancy outreach things. When, when we're doing these things, it's going to be natural. We're going to be inviting friends. We're going to be inviting neighbors. We're going to be so glowing to the world out there that they're going to want to come. When, when we invite them, they're going to be like, I'll at least go see what this whole thing is about. Acts 2, 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 2.45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, any who had need. So how were they growing? Yes, they were growing in numbers, absolutely. But they were growing in their attention. When they gathered together to hear the word, I would bet that their minds weren't wandering to the rest of the things that they had to do that week or yours. They gathered together in both large and small groups because they wanted to be students of the word. They were growing in attendance through their numbers, absolutely, but also in their attendance to what the church was doing. They were constant in their action to one another. They wanted to be a part of fellowship meals. They wanted to be a part of outreach ministry. They wanted to be a part of, I bet you in this church, he never had to ask more than once for volunteers for anything. But also, if we're true, I bet you in this church, they did things far differently than we do. They also were growing in their affection. 
had radical generosity, especially to those within the church. Their affections for the lost, knowing what they once were and now what they are in Christ. They're also growing in their attitude. We see this in verses like Acts 5, 29. We must obey God rather than man. So, in closing... This is a new year, but this is the same mission. And to be a love acts church, to let our love actually act, to show that love is an action, we've got to be not just a minimal church. We've got to be maximized. And if there's ever a day to be maximized for the Lord, it's today. One of my favorite quotes comes from the movie. It's a movie called Shawshank Redemption. It's, it's not a movie you watch with kids. Uh, but there's, there's a person in that movie, uh, the main character, Andy Dufresne. He goes to jail, and he has this conversation with Red, his buddy, while he's there in jail. And this is the quote that he says. He says, get busy living or get busy dying. Psalm 39.5 says, behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, my lifetime as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. And in the New Testament, James writes this way, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Brother or sister, let's maximize our vapor. Let's use whatever measly time we have to make a mark on this world, not for ourselves, but for the one who already had marks in his hands and in his side. Let's make a mark for Christ. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to maximize our lives, that we would not just hear this word this day and allow this conviction to pass over us, but rather you would help us to become individually more groaning, more glowing, more going, more growing, so that this church as a whole, whether Allegan Bible Church or whether by God's sovereign plan he would move us somewhere else, that we would be part of seeking to maximize the church, which is your body and your beloved, for your namesake. We ask that because you are more than worthy. So it's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Let's stand and sing.